Um, so I'd like to, just as uh, um, Saroosh was saying and uh, Gavin was saying, welcome any visitors. But if you're not a visitor here, you're also very welcome. Um, so this is the last of our summer's uh, songs of, of, of psalm, or summer psalm series. Uh, LM, started off, LM started off with uh, Psalm 40, um, and then supported by uh, Saroosh, who did the interpretation. Then we had uh, Dennis and Kirian. I think Dennis is around, talking about Psalm 84. So they did a, a marvellous job there. And then Matt and Mim uh, did Psalm 13. But unfortunately, we weren't around at that time. Uh, so we were, we were on holiday last week. Um, but you'll notice there is a bit of a difference in style between Angela and I uh, as, as we uh, share, share the word of God today. Um, and uh, you'll see. So uh, Angela will be eight minutes plus or minus a sneeze or something like that. I might be a little bit longer, but who knows? Um, but we'll see how that goes. Um, and as you will see, with Dennis and Kirian, when they were, were speaking, it was, it was marvellous. It was like watching a, um, um, ice skating, something like Torval and Dean there. Their, their talks went, were interwoven and they went together. So I've looked at, tried to think of a, an uh, you know, a metaphor for Angela and I's talk. And, and I, if you watch Angela to my right now, you will get a look, or I will get a look, I can't believe you said that look. <laughs> Which I have experienced quite a few times in my life. But the, the uh, metaphor that I thought of was we're like a wrestling tag team. <laughs> Big Daddy and Giant Haystacks. But that, there we go. But you'll see how that, that, that works out in, 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 in the future. So I think we'll have our first uh, slide up there. Um, and then um, uh, the, the word, sorry, slide. Uh, so Angela's going to read, and I'll be quiet. Okay. <laughs> so Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies, to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Thank you. <clears throat> so, in preparation, I thought that I'd ask for a few pieces of advice from certain members of the church, but unfortunately most of them were in, on holiday. So, I thought, well, if I ask these people, rather than asking them, I could, because I know them really well, I, I can imagine what their answer would be. So I asked Raj, I said, what piece of advice, Raj, in my head this is, would you give me? And you know Raj is a big Star Wars fan, so he said, always three points. No more, no less, just as in Star Wars and how many Sith there are. There's always two. No, no more, no less. So keep it to three points. Then, then I thought, well, I'll ask Saroosh what he thinks. And he said, 
well, you've got to wear a bright T-shirt, something very bright. He let me down today, but I've just brought some brightness in and worn a bright T-shirt or a bit of clothing. Then I thought, I'll ask Simon. And again, this was in my head, and Simon would say, keep it to the allocated time. No more, because people want to go on their picnic because it's a summer, summer series. Then I thought, okay, I'm going to ask Gavin as well. But then I remembered that Gavin is on paternity leave. So although this is in my mind, even though he's on paternity, I thought I shouldn't disturb him. So I left Gavin and I thought, I'm going to ask one more person. And that one person would be um, Paul Winstone here. Because, you know, he likes up there and he said, the advice I would give you is bring something memorable that people would remember. The bigger, the better. And impressive and a prop. So here we go. Two minutes. I'm not going to reveal it yet. <laughs> so the, pit, the areas that we're going to split into three areas, I'm going to talk about the first two and how big is our God and how great is our God. And that's from uh, Psalm 8, verse 3. When we consider your heavens, the work of your fingertips, the moon and the stars which you have put into, set into place. And then the what, next one is, are we small or are we loved? A bit cryptic there, but there we go. And that's from verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him? And then Angela will do the, the last bit is what our response should be. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. So, slide 5. As I said, when we consider the heavens, the work of your fingertips, the moon and the stars, which you have put into place. I would say that it's probably impossible to answer that question, how big God is. I know it's impossible because people have tried to do that over many, many years. And no matter how big you think God is, he's even bigger. But one of the things that I think that we can look at, and it says in this psalm here, is how big God's creation is. And then in comparison, we can see how big God is. And you look at creation, you see how perfect it is, how beautiful it is, and how mathematical it is. I just wanted to put that in there because everything holds together in a mathematical way. You look at the universe and the, God's big creation and you will look at general relativity. And I'm not going into that. Albert Einstein, if you want to talk with him later, he did it in 1961. And that, that talks about how, how mathematical the whole universe, how big, big things the observable universe is. But then we also look at the quantum theory, which is how minute things are. So if we look down at the atomic level. But these are mathematical things. It all fits together. There's a logic behind it. There's a creation behind it. And Genesis says, in the beginning, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I would like to try to demonstrate now how big God's creation is. And... Uh, this is where this comes in, in this little prop, this prop comes into place. Bear with me two seconds. Paul, can I have a drum roll? Are you ready? There we go. It's big, isn't it? Come on, come on. 
I know it's underwhelming at the moment. This is a golf ball. Actually, it should have been a white one, but I picked out the orange yellow one instead. But I want you to start to think about this. And I've taken this uh, 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 analogy from uh, Louis Giglio, uh, and he did a tour on how great, how great is our God tour. But I want you to imagine that this here, this is the earth. And I want to take you on a little bit of a journey of comparison of sizes going forward. So, if this was the earth, then the sun is one million times bigger than that. Now, that is, how, how do we imagine that? So, if I stood here, this is about 15 feet high. So, the circumference, if you put a big circle here, that would be the sun in comparison with the earth. So, that gives you some kind of scale in, in comparison. But then, if we look at the sun, if we were a few hundred miles closer to the sun or a few hundred miles further back, if we were closer, we would burn up. And if we were further back, we would, we would uh, freeze. So God set our planet in a perfect, perfect area. It's called the halo zone. And that protects us. So if I was to put this, this earth into this sun, it would fit 960,000 times. You can fit that into the sun which is amazing, which would fit, uh, which would fit into a, a bus. But, as you can imagine, there are bigger star, stars than our sun. And what I want to talk about now is Beetlejuice. Okay, maybe never heard of it, but you've probably heard of the cartoon character or whatever. Now, that is two times, not the size of our sun, but two times the orbit of our Earth around the sun. Now, what does that mean in reality? So, if the Earth was a golf ball, if the Earth was a golf ball, the diameter of Betelgeuse would be six times the six Empire State Buildings put on top of one another. And in that area, you would be able to sit, fit 262 trillion earth. Now, how do you get your mind around this? You can't. But I've, as we're from Teesside, and I've always been told to bring things down to a local level, we can see here that that is 54 heights of the transporter bridge. So that would probably make it clearer. 54 times, that is the diameter of, of Betelgeuse. Which, and if you had a number of golf balls like this, that is the earth, they would fit into Wembley Stadium, not once, but 3,000 Wembley Stadiums. Just to try to get our mind around how big God is. Now, as you can imagine, there's actually a bigger star than, than Betelgeuse. And this is called um, uh, Musifi. Uh, sorry, I'll get it right in a minute. Musifi. Now, that is the equivalent of two Golden Gate Bridges. Now, the Golden Gate Bridge is 1.4 miles long. I, actually, I've got that wrong, but yeah, 1.4 miles long. So, that would be two of them is 2.7 miles long if you put the Golden Gate Bridges together. Now, this will kind of start, start blowing your mind if it hasn't already. You would fit 
2.7 quadrillion Earths into that planet. And you think, well, what's a quadrillion? Well, a million, we know what a million is. A billion is a thousand million. A trillion is a thousand billion. And a quadrillion is a thousand trillion. So just to get your mind around this, uh, there's going to be a, a test at the end, by the way. So I hope that you're, you're going to uh, follow this through. But there is one bigger star that has recently been discovered. And uh, that star uh, is um, also, as you can imagine, very big. <laughs> and it's called Canis Majoris. Now this is the size of Everest. Now Everest is six miles high from sea level. That is the diameter of this star. Now when you consider that, you are considering that it's seven quadrillion Earth can fit within that mass of that star, which is mind-blowing. But to try to understand in a real-world sense what that means, if we then put it down into, just the next slide, sorry, uh, Zach. This would, if you took England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, and Scotland, and put the, the golf ball earth all over it, you would have to stack it to about five foot to account for the number of planets, uh, a number of earths that would fit within this star. So it's absolutely vast. So, I mean, the question is, how big is our God? How big is the universe? How big is our God? And he spoke, as Genesis said, he spoke this into, into being. But we have just looked at only four stars here. The, you know, we have to then contemplate these stars fit within the galaxy. These are all in our galaxy. And our galaxy contains between 100 and 400 billion stars. Just think how big <laughs> our God is. Now, our galaxy is only one of over 100 billion galaxies that are out there. And I'll use the word observable galaxies because there are more galaxies that we haven't actually observed. And the question that I have is, how big is our God? How, how, how can you comprehend creation? That's why it's impossible for us to say, how big is our God? But we know he's big. He's, we know that he's actually bigger than the creation because, as it says in the Bible, he spoke and it came into being. I can put my golf ball down now. But, see, it was impressive, wasn't it? Sidewise, you know, you looked at that and uh, you thought, well, that's not so impressive. But it is when you look at how big the world is around us. But we've got to also consider that God is not only interested in the universe. He's interested in his creation, in us. And even more, I would say he's even more interested in his creation, the, the animals, the, the creatures that go around. And we have to appreciate that as well. But sometimes when you look at the whole uh, uh, universe, and when I've just explained it the way I have, you can think, well, how insignificant are we? We can have two different responses. We will say how amazingly big the universe is, how amazingly big God is, how amazingly wonderful and creative God is. But what does that make us feel? Does that sometimes make us feel insignificant? That could be one of the, uh, one of the outcomes. But I want to show to you today that it's, it makes us feel, when we look at creation, how important that we are. So like I said, 
God created the universe, he was interested in the big stuff, but even more, he was interested in you and me, the birds, and various things like that. I think we've run a bit too far, but never mind. Uh, or not far enough, sorry. Yeah. So I just want to uh, look into this now, and it says here in Matthew 10, verse 39 to 31, are, you, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside our Father's care. And even the, uh, the very hairs on our head, easy to count for, for God on my head, so we don't be, don't be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. And I put this, one, this picture up because one, it's out of our garden and Angela likes, this is our passion flower. And it, uh, when I look at this, it's a very beautiful flower, but you just think there's a lot of beauty there, but sometimes it's, you just think, well, what's its function? But its function sometimes is just to be beautiful. And God has created such a beautiful world, a diverse world, with diverse things in it, diverse people in it, just like Angela and I, we're very diverse in the way that we, we are. But, you know, you can just look at these things and think, well, wow, what a beautiful, what a beautiful, beautiful uh, creation that we live in. But again, we sometimes think, well, okay, God is there, he's created it. Again, it makes us look kind of, where are we within this? And what the Old Testament, both the Old Testament and the New Testament say in many places is that we are more important, not only of creation, we are more important than the animals. And how do we know that? One, the Bible says we are, but two, also God has demonstrated in this in as much that he sent his only son down to die for us um, so that we could have um, union with, with God the Father. And when you look at this, you think, well, this is amazing, because the Bible actually talks about the, the creation, and it says this in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians, sorry, Colossians 15 to, 15 to 16, that the, the creation was created by Jesus, for Jesus, and it's sustained by Jesus. And when we look at what that actually means to us, that that whole creation that we've just spoken about, the size and majesty of creation, God's, and that was made for Jesus, by Jesus, for Jesus, and it was set aside. The one it was all set aside for, he sent down to die for us on the cross. And it says in John, uh, John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So when I look at the, the creation around us, and if we can have the last slide, uh, Zach, not only do I see the magnificus, magnificence of God in his creation, but I see how much that God loves us. Because he set all that aside and gave all of that up for the one who he created for him, for us, his son, he sent down for us. So I will now pass over to Angela. Okay, so I'm just going to talk about verse 2, which is the one that really stood out for me. So I'll just read it again. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. So interestingly, this was actually a prophecy. It was one of the 300 Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled during Jesus' life 
and death. In Matthew 21, after Jesus had cleared the temple of the money changers and the people selling doves, verse 14 says, The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. I think that's such a lovely picture of the children just being so excited about Jesus. And then he said, do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, he replied, have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? He was beating them at their own game again. They were always out to catch Jesus out. But here Jesus draws their attention to the Old Testament prophecy which he fulfilled, more evidence for them that he was their Messiah. So praise and worship are clearly very important. This verse talks about the significance and effects of our children's praise, but praise from us as adults is no less powerful. Praise, as we all know, is not just what we do on Sunday mornings when Andy or Shirley and the band are uh, leading us, but it should be our lifestyle. There are many opportunities every day to acknowledge God's greatness, his love and his faithfulness and to thank him for it. We'll all do it in our own individual ways, unique to each one of us. But being thankful and worshipping at any and every opportunity is the way that God has planned for us to live. So I'd like to ask, are we a praising people? Are we people who are genuinely thankful to God, grateful for all that he is and does, and who let God know that and demonstrate it by our lifestyle? If we have children, are we bringing them up to believe that what they bring to God as praise is of very high value and significance? Have we taught our children how to praise God? Do they know what it means and how to do it? And are we modelling a lifestyle of praise, thankfulness and worship to God in our day-to-day lives that they can recognise as normal so that they will imitate what they can see parents and the rest of the church doing? And not just on Sundays, but Mondays and every day. And not just when everything's going well, but also when we have challenges and difficulties. Or do they see grumbling and complaining? I'm speaking to myself here because I'm a good grumbler. It's a challenge for all of us. It's so easy to grumble and complain. It seems to just come naturally. Whether it's about the weather, things that we don't have that we'd like to have, people who are difficult to live with, not having enough time, the list goes on and on. Is the list of things we're complaining about sometimes longer than the list of things for which we're praising God? To be honest, for me, it sometimes is. And it can be hard in difficult situations to praise and be thankful, but it's powerful when we do, and it enables God to come and bring his kingdom in our lives. Paul says in Philippians 2 verse 14, Do everything without grumbling and complaining, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. That's a beautiful picture of what we can look like when we live without grumbling and complaining. What a contrast there is between a bright shining star and the black night sky. Amazing that our lives can actually be that different from the world and stand out so much in such a beautiful, profound and eye-catching way. So what are the effects of praise? Firstly, we delight in God. God created us to enjoy him and to find delight in him. In the Psalms, David speaks of one day spent in God's house, in his presence, was better than a thousand anywhere else. 
He also says that in God's presence there is fullness of joy. Praise gives us a foretaste of the atmosphere of heaven where praise and worship will be going on all the time. And God delights in us. He takes delight in us back. Zephaniah says, this is from the message version, the Lord your God is present among you, a strong warrior there to save you. Happy to have you, he'll calm you with his love and delight over you with his songs. Secondly, as we worship, we draw near to God. In contrast to worship under the old covenant before Jesus, we can enter into God's actual presence ourselves now. Under the old covenant, believers could only draw near to God in a limited way through the temple ceremonies. Most of the people of Israel could not even enter the temple, but had to remain outside in the courtyard. Even the priests could only go into the outer court of the temple, the holy place, when it was their appointed duty. But into the inner room of the temple, called the Holy of Holies, no one could go except the high priest, and he only once a year. But now, under the new covenant, we have the amazing privilege of being able to enter directly into the Holy of Holies when we worship. Hebrews 10 verse 19 says, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Thirdly, God draws near to us. James 4 verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Again in the Old Testament, when the people began to praise him at the dedication of the temple, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest couldn't stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house. God's presence comes now when we praise and worship him, both together as a body and when we're alone. Fourthly, God ministers to us. There are divine encounters to be had. Psalm 22 verse 3 says of God, Yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. Other versions speak about God inhabiting our praises. By praising him, we're taking God's supreme authority in heaven and bringing it down to earth. Our praises actually create a platform in our circumstances for the king to sit on his throne and release the reality of his kingdom. And when the kingdom of God comes, it destroys the kingdom of darkness. Things happen when we enthrone God with our praises. An example from the New Testament was when Paul and Silas in Acts had been arrested for casting a demon out of a slave girl in Thyatira. They were arrested, severely beaten and put into jail. Amazingly, they weren't complaining, but about midnight they were praying and singing hymns to God. Suddenly God's presence showed up. There was an earthquake and they were released from their chains. Miraculously, When we enthrone God in our praise, people and we ourselves can be set free. Bill Johnson, in his book, Strengthen Yourself in the Lord, talks about people who received healing during worship. He says, I can't keep count of all the testimonies I've heard about people who were lost in the presence of God in worship and only afterward realised they'd been healed. After one service, two individuals came and told me that they'd been healed as the lingering effects of a broken neck they'd suffered many years earlier. They were both sitting in the same part of the church and they were both healed spontaneously during worship. Fifthly, um, our enemies are silenced. In this verse, the enemies are called the foe and the avenger. Our enemies not silent, but at times noisy and vocal. 
feeding his lies into our thoughts and our minds. In John 8, verse 44, Jesus is talking about the devil and he says this about him, that there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language because he is a liar and the father of lies. He will lie to us about anything and everything. He will question our identity in Christ. He'll question all the promises of God that we're believing in, like he did with Jesus when he was being tempted. Two out of the three temptations began with, if you are the son of God, questioning his very identity. Praise is a way of silencing him so that we don't have to listen to those lies anymore. It's a way of switching the enemy off a way of stopping the stream of lies coming from him. Sixthly, um, protection. In another translation of this verse from Psalms, it says, Through the praise of children and infants, you've established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. So praise gives us a protection against the enemy, a stronghold being a place that has been secured tightly against an attack, a well-protected place a place where we're safe and secure. And seventhly, when we praise God's enemies flee. When the people of Israel began to worship, God at times would fight for them against their enemies. For example, in the time of King Jehoshaphat, the Moabites, Edomites and Syrians came against Judah and King Jehoshaphat sent out the choir praising God in front of the army, which seems like a strange thing to do. But it tells us in 2 Chronicles, when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against their enemies and they were routed without the Israelites having to do anything, without having to fight the battle themselves. So while we worship, God can go out and destroy our enemies. Fortunately, we have a helper to enable us to live a lifestyle characterized by praise, worship and thankfulness and not grumbling and complaining. It would be a tall order and probably an impossibility without the Holy Spirit. But with the Holy Spirit to counsel us, comfort us, empower us and enable us, we can do it. So getting filled and refilled on a daily basis is the way to success in this area of our lives. So I'm going to end with a challenge again from Bill Johnson. He says, so I challenge you to take the time each day to look past the problems and needs around you long enough to give God an extravagant expression of praise and rejoicing. I promise you'll discover that while his blessings are awesome, he is the greatest blessing of all. You might also happen to realize that you're becoming a joyful person. After all, God is in a good mood. If you hang around him, his joy is bound to rub off. I mean, just before we stop, I just wanted to close in prayer. And then, as, as Angela was saying, you know, I think the only response that we really have to this is to, to praise and worship God, the great creator, and who he is. And, and we've sung a, a, a song already today, which is, uh, Jesus is, a, is greater than it all. I, I've never heard that song, which was a great song. And, and I think it just sums everything up. Jesus is greater than all, all is around us. And I'm just remem- reminded of uh, when Peter walked on water. And, you know, we all, we all have challenges in our lives and, and various things like that. And when Peter was walking on water, he was called out by Jesus. And when he was looking at Jesus, he, uh, he was walking on water, which was a miracle. But then suddenly he started to look around 
and you know he he saw the waves and the 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 sea and he's thinking what am I doing and he started to sink and sometimes we are distracted about from who Jesus are by our circumstances and things like this when we take our eyes off of of off of Jesus of and off of God so I'm just encouraging you to keep our eyes focused on Jesus and our you know and puts us in our right place and the circumstances that we find ourselves in the right place but not only that in that story when Peter started to to uh, sink Jesus didn't leave him there he just put out his hand and he lifted him up and and you know that's what God does for us that God who created the universe who sent his son down to die for us he will reach out his hand and support us God said he will never leave us or forsake us oh Lord Jesus I just thank you for your creation your amazing amazing creation around us both the bigness of the universe but lord the intricacy the beauty beauty of of the flowers and the birds around us lord and and when we look at this we not only see that but we see also the your love that you have for us because you sent your son down to die for us even if we were the only person on the earth you would have died for us the creator of the universe died for us because you love us and Lord, as we just sing and worship you now, Lord, just we just want to reflect on that great glory and that great love you have for us. Thank you, Lord. Amen.